Happy Father's Day. Got a picture behind me in a second that uh, shows four generations of Garfields. And I've got another picture that I didn't bring that we could show four generations of the dig side. But it's also Father's Day. But look at this. You know, uh, four generations. I know some people, I, I'll never forget a youth rally I preached one time. And, and I was trying to show the kids how that, that God puts things in his Bible to protect us and not hurt us. And I said, you know, how many of you in here that are happy that your parents got a divorce? And I'd never got a kid raise their hand and say they were happy that their parents divorced. But in this one particular youth rally, I did. And it shocked me. And I went up to him afterwards, and he said, well, talk to him. He said, well, my dad beat the tar out of us. And my dad wasn't a good father. And, and he couldn't relate to a good father. And, and so as I look at, you know, my family, I'm spoiled, man. My granddad is an awesome guy, and my dad's pretty awesome. And, and, and this goes down to I'm holding Joshua in my arms, and that's Parker and, and Jordan and Luke. The grandpa's holding Luke, and then Brian's holding Jordan. But, but we got four generations of men that love God, that love the Father. But as I was thinking about that, and the Lord was putting this message on my heart today, was this very song is that, that we've got a good, good father, meaning Father God. You know, my, my dad and my grandfather, all of my parents are awesome because they've always looked to God. They've always looked to the Father, and they love the Father. And I've been spoiled that way on both sides of the family. And I can remember at one family reunion when Garfields were in full tilt and, and we were bragging that there were 70 people there and not one of them was unsaved, that, that we were in a godly family, of, a family that, that served the Father. And so, you know, I've been spoiled that way, but I give glory to God today. And, and on Father's Day, I not only thank Him for my earthly father, but I thank God for who He is. And it's Happy Father's Day to God today. And that's another thing that we need to be celebrating today. As I'm preparing for the message, the Lord put three things on my heart that He has done, that He's such a good, good Father, that He's such an awesome Father. And the, the three points I have today is the first one is, is, uh, is no one is so bad that the Father can't touch their lives. And we have a good, good Father the second point is, is come to your senses. And we'll talk about that a little bit more. And the third thing is God has met your needs. And we're going to be reading from Luke 15, 11 through 14 or 24. But this is the story of the prodigal son, which is, is talking about the father and how he responds to his children. And this is an example when, when Christ said that, that you see him, then you're seeing the father. And so when we read this passage of Scripture, this is Christ saying these things, and, and we can see the Father in these words. And we need to hang on these words because it brings us hope. You know, it, it's what made my family what they are. Uh, I love my dad, but, but he's nothing compared to the Father. But yet he, he, he is what he is because of the Father. And I thank God for him. In other words, I thank God for what he's done in my life. And so today as we read this Scripture here, uh, Jesus told them this story. And again, from Luke 15, 11 through 24, today I'm reading through the NLT. But Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. 
Uh, I tried that with my dad. He wouldn't give me anything. Uh, So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, well, another thought came to my mind, but I won't say that one. But a few days later, the younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land. And I want you guys to remember that today. Because I believe the Lord told me, and I've added this to the sermon, that a lot of us have lost hope. We've lost hope. We look at America and, and we're not, we just don't see where God's at anymore. And we're looking at our families. We're looking at church. We're looking at everything. And we're not seeing the hope that, that we, we can. And, and I want you to see this scripture here that, that famine swept over the land during this time as well. And the boy began to starve. Verse 15. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him in his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, and that's point two, he said to himself, at home even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me as a hired servant. So he returned to his home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to his servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet, and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for this son of mine was dead and is is now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, and, and Father, again, we just lay ourselves before you today. Father, your word says it will not come back, and, and these were words straight from Christ, your son's mouth. And Father, I ask that as we break open the word today, that, that it would minister to each and every one of us in here. Father, I know it's a big day. There's lots of things planned out. Uh, Father, let us forget about those things for a while, or, or lay the things that distract us at your feet. Father, so that we can be focused on you today. Father, so we can grow a little bit closer to you. Father, so that we could recognize and, and see the love that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, that's something that, that really hits me as you see the love of the Father. All through this passage of Scripture. And you guys can't imagine today how much the Father loves you. I could stand up here and talk for two years and not get through as, as the, the, the depth and the height of the love that God has for you. The scripture says your mind can't even comprehend it. You know, you, you can't understand it. You can't fathom how much God loves you. And, and, and that's the most important thing we need to together as Christians is how much God loves us. You know, we see right off in this story that this boy, he was... He was, had wasted all that God had given him, all the money on wild living. And if you go down to verse 30 and continue reading on there, 
when his brother's slamming him, the one that should have been building him up, but when his brother's gossiping about him, he said, Father, he spent all his money on prostitutes. So we know this kid was wild and crazy and, and was living a wild and crazy life. And, and we know that, that he wasn't doing anything that deserved the love of the Father. But the scripture says, but God demonstrated his love for us. Then when while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ loved us. He loved Kent when I, before I even got saved. You know, God isn't conditional. God doesn't say, you know, since you chose me, I'll choose you. God chose you from the beginning of the foundations of the world. God chose you from the, from the get-go. God loves you and nothing will separate you from his love. Guys, I'm quoting scripture here. And I'm butchering it. It's kids paraphrase, but most of what I just say is scripture. God really loves us and he cares about us. No one is so bad that Jesus can't touch their life. No one in here is so bad that Jesus can't touch your life. You know, I even think about Saul, which is in turn the Apostle Paul. When Saul, before Christ, he was called Saul. When he was saved, he was called Paul. But we see that the Saul, here this, this guy that wrote the New Testament eventually, Saul was held the coat of Stephen whenever they martyred Stephen. In other words, Saul came against the church. Saul tried to destroy the church. Saul was responsible and had a part of Stephen's death, an apostle of Jesus Christ. After that, you read in, in Acts chapter 8, that there was in Acts chapter 7, but in Acts chapter 8, 1 through 3, you'll see that Paul hated the church so much. He hated the way, the Bible will say the way, so much that, that he went and got permission from the Jewish sect to go in and not only destroy it, but permission to go into the way, the churches, and, and do anything he could to bring havoc. To go into the Mayberries and try to take them out, to try to kill them. To go over to the Comptons and do anything they could to destroy them. He had permission from the Jewish leadership to, to do havoc and, and legally was correct in doing it. Took lives. Took lives. But what's so neat about that story is we see that Christ pursued him. We see that God loved him so much, even when he was killing his apostles, even when he was trying to destroy his church, even when he was doing everything against what God was trying to do, Jesus came after him on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9. He came to him. He came and spoke to him. He sought him out because God loved Paul, Saul too. And we see that he had an experience with Jesus Christ. And we see that, that immediately he turns around. He completely does a turnaround and he's ministering within four or five days. He's ministering the gospel. Man, talk about a turnaround. Why? Because he experienced the love and the power of God. And, and we don't realize how much God loves us. But I hear it from believers. I hear it from non-Christians all the time that I'm so bad. I'm too bad for Jesus to love or even change me. And that's straight from the pit of hell. Uh, Jesus actually is pursuing you all, at all times. I believe the Holy Spirit is pursuing you right now. And I don't care where you're at in the Lord, that, that you're either listening to the Holy Spirit or you're distracted by other things because he's speaking to us right now. God is pursuing a relationship with us 24-7 because he loves us. So no sin is, 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 was too big or bad for God to forgive. 
Even the prodigal son, no sin was too big, man. He took and blew all of his dad's possessions. How many of you guys would like it if your son blew away your farm? That your family farm, your family inheritance just blew it all. Would you still love your son? Would you love, would you love him? God loves us unconditionally. He cares about us unconditionally. I'll never forget, and I know I've shared this before, but it just ministers to me. It, it, I never can forget it, but I worked in the prisons for years, and, and I've been on the death row. I've been in lots of places, but the worst place ever was called LTI, and it was, it was young uh, college, or, uh, high school kids that committed such treacherous uh, crimes that they would hold them here because they were underage until they turned 18, and then they'd put them in the main prisons. And I'll never forget that I'd gone in there, and I've, I've had, I could tell you some bad experiences where the Lord looked out for me. Uh, encounters, they, they cornered my little brother one time and could have killed him. But, uh, but things happened in there and God looked out for us. But there's this one guy named Kenny Size that, that he always was looking out for me. And man, he loved God. He was always helping in the church services. Man, he was so involved. He was like a, a chaplain right there beside me the whole time. Godly man, live for God better than I ever thought about it. And I did the note one day that you're not supposed to do. And I said, Kenny, why are you even in here? Man, I can't imagine that, that anything that you would ever do to get in here. And long story short, he hit a quick trip or whatever it was, fast trip, robbed it. Him and his buddies run out and they jumped in a van and they took off and they went around the corner and they, they're running from the cops. And I guess they were going too fast and they rolled it. Kenny kicks the door open and drops at least one cop, if not two, trying to kill him. That's why he was in prison. And I thought, my goodness, I can't believe it. I, I just, my mind couldn't comprehend where Kenny had came from because God had done such a work in his life. God had loved him so much that, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. But I know a lot of you in here today know that. A lot of you in here are Christians. But the Lord really put it on my heart that, that our world, it's, it's in a big, bad mess. Uh, Bob sent me an email the other day that was showing some junk going on in Congress. And, and other people are, are sharing things with me that are going on in this world. And, and, and this world looks so big and bad that we don't know. We don't, sometimes we don't think God can change it. And, and I'm here to tell you, God told me to tell you that I can change America. I can bring America back to the to original place they were in with me. America can experience a Holy Ghost revival. Uh, you can do it. We can do it. God said that hope is there. But so many of us, we think it's too far gone. You know, it's like the, the, the same as it was in the biblical times here with the prodigal son. It said the famine swept over the land and, and he was starving. There's a famine in our land now. There's a famine in the land then. But, but God brought him hope, and God will bring us hope. Do you believe that today? I'd been overseas for a while, and, and, and it seems like since I've been back, I've just been running hard. And, and, and I hadn't had a chance to watch news. And, and I think it was Thursday, whatever day, I was texting you, Mike, and some of you others. But I got home and, and I started watching the news. And I started caving into this a little bit. And I was like, man, this, this world's in bad shape. Man, I, I text my wife, I text Jim, and 
I texted the third one. I can't remember who it was. And I said, man, we're in a mess. We're in a mess. And, and I just, right when I was thinking that, I popped up this article about African uh, swine fever, also referred to as pig Ebola, has already wiped out millions upon millions of pigs and continues to spread even more through other countries. There's no vaccines. There's no cure. We don't have any way to stop this disease. But when I read that, the Lord kept telling me, you know, nothing is too big or bad for me. You know, and I, I called uh, one of our local hog farmers and I said, is there, or texted him and said, is there anything to this? And he said, man, look up Beagle Brigade. But he said, uh, China has already lost more pigs in China than the U.S. has, has hogs total. So in other words, all the hogs we got in the United States, China's already lost more hogs to this disease. And so when I looked up the Beagle, the Beagle Brigade, they were releasing beagles into airports and, and all types of places where people can come into America to where they can sniff out this disease and, and they, can, you know, they can detect it before it comes in here. Uh, read in the article, the Beagles found a ship that China had sent over a bunch of contaminated meat to the United States. And they caught that and they burned that offshores. Uh, uh, guys, I tell you, you, you need to be listening to our president. China is, is out to take the world over. Don't think they're not. Uh, every airport I went to overseas, China has bought out and owns. Uh, they're, they're going into third world countries and they're ravishing them. They're taking everything and, and they're setting themselves up. And their goal is to bring us down, you know. But you know what? We got a good, good father who looks out for us. And they're not so big and bad that we can't have revival and God can't have revival in their land. But this is close to home, guys. Paula got stopped by one of these bugle dogs whenever they came back from Switzerland not too long ago. And she was in the airport. What airport were you guys in in the States? They're thinking JFK. But they were coming back from Switzerland and she had put it at ate an apple. And had put it in her purse before she ate it. Ate the apple, left it. Here it is eight hours later and this apple hadn't been in her purse. And this beagle sniffs Paula's purse out for that apple. And twice they checked with her to make sure that she didn't have something in her bag. But again, we see all this stuff and fear begins to, to build. And, and I could feel today when we were singing the second song about the fear and how God can take it away. You guys were into it. Because fear and anxiety of this world, if we sit there and focus on that, we focus on the news, we focus on all the junk that's going on, it's easy to not have any hope in Jesus Christ. But the Lord's here to tell you today to press into Him. And He said that there's nothing too bad, big or bad or ugly, that He can't turn around. And it's the simplest things is what He showed me. And, and, th- and this is why that I love the Lord so much. Is he's dealing with me on this and, and, and I flip on my devotion later that day and I'm listening to it. And this guy's talking about what was going on in England in 1780 in my daily devotion. And he said in 1780, England was in bad shape. What was the Lord just telling me? You know, we think America's in bad shape. We think things around us are in bad shape. But he goes on to say in his devotion, 
Paganism was at an all-time high. There were 10,000 prostitutes working their trade on the streets of London. Binge drinking and gambling were widespread. The UK had descended into decades of immorality. This was the 18th century. Church uh, congregations had declined sharply. Part of the church had virtually descended into paganism. But as we were reading all this saying, does it not sound familiar today? All the things that we're talking about, England was going through it in the 1780s to 1800s. Yet nothing was too big for God. The nation was changed. Now hear this. The preaching of John Wesley and George Whitfield began to take effect. Hmm. That's our heritage. Wesley's the one that discovered our denomination. The preaching of John Wesley and Whitfield began to affect thousands of people responding to their message and encountering Jesus. Robert Reichs started his first Sunday school in 1780. The growth from this one idea reached 300,000 unchurched children within five years. By 1910, they were well over 5 million children in Sunday school. From that Sunday school and from this group of kids raised up William Wilberforce. And, and, and the reason I went ahead and shared that name with you, and you can read behind me there, but this guy went on to do great things to reform England. But the point I wanted to make today is that the, the, the simple thing that changed England around when they were so bad that nobody could see daylight, nobody could see hope, was simply listening to the ministers and going to Sunday school. Think about that. Two simple things. What's Satan trying to steal from us today? But Sunday school and church. Look around. If he can get us out of the listening to the word by not going to church, by not going to Sunday school, it'll tear the world up. He's convinced Christians, he's convinced a lot of people that they don't need to go to Sunday school, that they don't need to attend church regularly. I have brothers that are in the ministry. I have literally brothers, and I have brothers I was thinking about that aren't related to me. But over half of them, they've already shut their Sunday schools down. They didn't want to, but, but nobody comes. And that's what gets me today is, is that we're crying out for hope when it's in the simplest things. And it's simply been dedicated to the Word of God on Sunday mornings and Sunday school. And I'd even go as far today if you have no hope and you're struggling today, if you just committed to Sunday school a year, it'd change your life. But I'm believing just like this guy raised up here that we're talking about in this scripture and changed England because, again, he had gone through Sunday school and church and Jesus had an encounter with Christ. There was lots of things I read on that news that day. One that Nicole Ruddick had posted on there about phones that we talked about weeks ago that, that how phones are causing major depression amongst our kids. 
and that how the suicide rate is up and that was what it was linked to a lot of times was the phones. And you can go read her article that she posted on her Facebook. But what I noticed about it, they said in there that even the kids that the parents were monitoring, but the kids still were on their cell phones at night, it was still affecting them because they weren't getting their sleep. And so they had an easy suggestion. And this is what tickled me. That all the studies they did, this was the answer they gave. They said, parents, get a power strip, get all your phones, yours included, plug them in in a room that nobody can touch them from 9 o'clock in the night or whenever you go to bed until you get out of the bed the next morning, and it would change everything. And they were going on how the simplest things would change things. Just doing that simple step. And a lot of you, you're going to go home and do that. I'm already seeing the response across the room. And I'm already hearing my wife chattering because I'm one of them. I was working on my sermon at midnight in bed last night. And it robs your sleep. And it robs your time. So whether it's good or not, we need our sleep. But the simplest thing, I told you the simplest answer. And a lot of us will try that. But I also told you the simplest answer of trusting in Jesus Christ. Will we try that? Will we be committed to the word? Simple solutions. Point two, but we've got to come to our senses. If you look at this kid, the Lord really jumped this out at me. He said he repented and turned. He talked about that twice. He came to his senses. He realized where he was at. And a lot of times, you know, we're watching TV. At least I watch a lot of the news, and I'm like, my goodness, come to your senses. You're crazy. How can they think this? How do they buy into this stuff? But this kid, he came to his senses. And once he did, he said, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. And I believe he was talking to the heavenly Father here. But, but I think this is what happens a lot of times. We see that in verse 18. So in other words, he's thinking about it. You know, Father, I need to, I need to repent. I need to change. I, I've recognized my ways, but a lot of us don't move to the, to the act. In other words, we just think about it. Oh, yeah, I know if I would change this, it would change my life. God, thank you for showing that to me, but we don't ever take it into action. If you read verse 18, the kid had repented and knew what he needed to do before he even went home. Then in verse 22, I believe, 21, he goes to his father and says, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. You see what I'm trying to say today? I think a lot of time God speaks things to us and we don't move on it. God spoke this to the boy. He knew that his hope was going home to the father. But until he went home to the father, he didn't receive any of it. Are you following what I'm trying to say today? So I believe God is speaking to us right now and giving us answers and antidotes for hope in our life. But until you move out and actually do it, it does you no good. I have kids and youth raise their hand to be saved all the time. Actually, in church today, I'll have you raise your hand to be saved. And people, men, women, adults, will raise their hand to be saved. 
but yet they won't come before the church and, and be recognized. And Romans 10, 9, and 10 said that we need to confess our sins before body of believers. In other words, in our seats, we're thinking about it. We realize, I need to choose Jesus, but yet we never get up out of our seats and do it. Or we're sitting in our seats and say, I need to, to really move out in my marriage in this place. I know what I need to do, but we never get out of our seat and go make a, a confession and an accountability to somebody to hold us to it. And that's where God's telling me a lot of us are good at talking. But are we good about following through? And we see this kid here, he followed through. And because of that, he reaped great rewards. I think I had that scripture behind me on Romans 10, 9, and 10, so I'm not going to read it. But the other thing that I saw in this passage of Scripture, and this is where God's been harping at me, and and a couple of weeks ago I preached on the heart of the servant. It's almost like God begs us to serve Him. Or I feel like that sometimes, and it shouldn't be that way. You know, this this son, did you guys realize what the Word said? The prodigal son begged the master to be his servant. He said, please take me on as a hired servant. Are we that way with God? Father, please take me on. Father, look me inside out. Father, if there's anything in here that's not of you, Lord, it's yours. So that kind of ties in what I was just telling you there. You know, God's showing us stuff. We allow him to move on us. But, but when, he, when he does, are we, we stepping out and saying, it's yours, God. I'm your servant. You can have all of me. Man, I'm an open book, Lord. I just want all of you. And until I did that in my life, I didn't experience God at all. But when I did that in my life, I experienced God all over the place. We got to starve for Him. Long for Him. Want Him above everything else. The picture behind me is one camp. And we went to Feeding Incorporated this last week, and there was 38 of us. And then again, I'm so blessed, uh, you know, expecting 12 to 15 kids, and, and we've got, I think we're averaging 24 that are sixth or sophomore, and then with the junior-senior help, we're up to 28 to 29, and then the adult leaders. But we went and, and ministered in, in the body in there, and these kids were touched. You know, it's, uh, and I don't know some of them parents probably make them go, but, but I don't think they do. I think these kids have really taken on that servant heart. Lord, I want to be used by you. Father, I want you to touch my life. Because I never have to get after them kids to do something. Uh, there, there's two kids in there that, that I think they're miserable every week. But when I go ask them, man, are you having fun? They're loving it. They love it. They love being servants of God. They love God open me up minister to me man they had some nasty jobs you know what that half of them did they were they were sorting out rotten onions that's what they a whole pallet of it jennifer did your kids smell when they went home because five of them were yours but i i can still smell you dude <laughs> but man they want to make a perfume out of it you know it keeps the girls away right bud <laughs> i'm hassling him now but that's what we need to be about. And to see the kids go and minister at the pool and, 
And, you know, you say, well, you're just going to play in the afternoon. These kids are looking for opportunity to minister. Yeah, we're going to a pool or we're going to a park or something because the Lord told me that evangelism should be exciting. So we do something exciting, and that's where we minister. We want to tie the two together. We're not ashamed of who we are. We're excited about who we are. God, I want you to take me on as your servant. Is that our cry today? God, I want you to take me on as your servant. Can we make that commitment to him today? Shelby Lehman, and because of time, I'm going to skip over it, but she posted a a post that don't give up on Facebook, and it came up the time I was writing it, and it lays right out with what I'm talking about, and it's behind me up there. But it's powerful. Man, God wants you so bad. God wants you so bad. He loves you. Man, he, he, he sent his son for you. But point three, and we close with this. God has met our need. God has met every need you have in this room today. It's met. Christ paid for it on the cross. It's done. Christ said it was finished. Christ paid the price for us. And the thing is that I'm just going to read the the last part of the scripture here today to prove this point of how much God loves us in verse 22. But when the boy chose Christ immediately, it said, quick. The father said, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Man, that's pretty cool, isn't it? Man, he said, quick. He didn't didn't say, you know, hey, Sean, I know I love you, brother, and I'm glad you chose me today, but I look back over your past, bud, you're just not there yet. Christ didn't say that, nor does he say it to anyone. He said, quick, go get the robe and put sandals on his feet. God didn't look at our past. Christ paid for it on the cross. God can't even see our past when we put it under the blood. Second thing he said is, get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. The ring meant that he was God's now. It was probably a signet ring, but I didn't have time to look it up. But it meant he belonged to God. So immediately he met his needs and immediately he let the world know. Guys, he let Satan know, that's my boy. He let Satan know, that's my girl. And he put a ring on our finger. And immediately they were forgiven. All this happened at once. And kill. The calf we have been fattening, representing forgiveness and the shed blood of of sin. But the other thing I think the Lord was saying, and bring a stake in, was take it and have a stake together. Man, let's dine together. Let's hang out together. You know, he had been preparing. You guys get that? And, And kill the calf we have been fattening. The father was ready for the son to come home. The Father's ready for us to come home. The Father's ready for us to reach out to Him and say, God, I need you to move in this, this situation. The Father's anticipating us. He's wooing us. Man, He just wants us to step out. And that takes us back to what we are talking about earlier. 
Man, God's speaking to your areas right now. You need to move in. He's given you the answer, but you got to move in. He's already ready. He's prepared to move. He's there. It's done. It's finished. But we not. We got to do more than think about it. We got to step out into it. We got to take possession of the land, if you will. We like to laugh at Israel because they never took possession. They just stared at it. But what's the difference when God tells us we have the victory, nothing's too bad or ugly, and yet we still stare at the problem every day? He's already paid the price. It's already done. And then he said, we must celebrate with a feast. For this son and daughter of mine was was dead and now returned to life. They were lost, but now they are found. So the party began. Man, the Lord rejoices when we reach out to him. And a lot of you may be thinking I'm talking about just salvation. Guys, actually, I'm talking to the believer today too. Everything I'm saying pertains to the believer. God's reaching out to us. There's a party going on and he wants to move in our lives like you wouldn't believe. We just need to take hold. We just need to take hold. And the altar call is today is you've heard all these things. If you're unsaved today, nothing's too big or bad that God can't deal with it, that God can't forgive you. You're not too bad that God can't save your soul. But the main point of that, I think the Lord was showing me today, was a lot of you in here today, you just don't have any hope in this world or in your life right now. You can't see much good. And that's where the Lord's telling me, our world isn't too big and bad that our God can't change it either. We just got to continue being faithful in the, in the littlest things. Sunday school and church and his word. Just being faithful and consistent in that and it'll change people's lives. The other thing I want you to be thinking about today is, is I believe the Lord's showing us stuff. And we're talking to him now. But let's put it into action. And actually do what he asks us to do. But these altars are open here today. And the season's right, guys. The season's right. God's a good, good father. And he offers you salvation. He offers you everything. It's already done. It's yours.